You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. All right, so this will be real quick. I know I always say that, and it's not real quick, but hopefully (laughs) in my defense, it really will be real quick. Um, This is about uh, the supply chain and prices rising very fast uh, for products across the board. Um, Now, if you all were uh, following up with the series that I did on um, the economy I predicted that inflation was going to get worse and um, I gave you the root reasons why it was getting worse and part of that, the main reason, actually the root reason is because of the printing of money by the Federal Reserve and there is such a surplus of cash that that makes the value of the dollar uh, go down, okay? Which means it takes more dollars to buy uh, products that you normally would buy. So the example I think I gave was that um, if you used to pay $0.25 for an apple uh, as the value of the dollar goes down because of the more money that the Federal Reserve is printing, the more of those dollars it'll take to buy something. So inflation is if an apple was 25 cents and now you pay 35 cents, that's inflation. Hyperinflation is when you paid 25 cent and now you're paying 50 cent for that apple. And then as time goes on, inflation gets higher. That same 25 cent apple costs you a dollar. All right. So um, I will put a um, link to that particular podcast. If you want to really get into the details of uh, how the Fed Reserve really operates Uh, how money is borrowed, and how that impacts the economy, right? I told you all that inflation was going to happen. I also told you that inflation, you were already witnessing inflation as you went to the grocery store, okay? So if you've been keeping up, uh, just recently they had to approve a um, semi-budget to go over their budget. The government almost shut down last week. And just like I knew they would, which was the reason why I didn't even bother doing a podcast on it, I knew they were going to approve to basically spend more money. Okay. And um, I think they have until who is it? December. They only extended it to December and they're going to do the same thing. Now note, as I stated in that, podcast breakdown, the more money they keep printing, the higher the U.S. debt is, 
the lower the value of the dollar will become, which means inflation will continue to increase, meaning what you pay for your goods and services will continue to increase. Now, uh, just one more thing. Um, It is uh, Janet Yellen. See, y'all, I'm already, (laughs) I'm already doing it. I'm sorry, family. I can't, it's hard for me to bring you just half information. I apologize. I truly, truly apologize. I know I'd be making these longer. So it has been reported that uh, Janet Yellen is going to, child, they just straight make my head hurt with this one, is proposing creating, we really cannot make this stuff up, family. I I literally could not sit down and make up this stuff. Janet Yellen is proposing to print or mint a trillion-dollar coin. Okay, so I'm going to bring this up. (sighs) Ciao. And this also just shows you, family, how they literally create money from nothing. Literally. Literally. So this is from CNN Business. Um, I heard it again. I heard it in passing, um, probably right around this time this article was created. And I said, okay, I'll kind of keep a watch on it. And then I heard it this morning on mainstream News. I'm like, oh crap, here we go. So let's listen to this real quick. And then we're going to get into the whole supply chain because all of it ties together, family. So let's see. The trillion dollar coin idea is back as wacky as a wacky way to prevent financial Armageddon. Okay. So it's gotten so ridiculous. They are Ponzi scheme, what they're calling a financial system. Now the mainstream media is forced to come out and say financial Armageddon. I have never heard the mainstream media say financial Armageddon as it's related to the U.S. government. Okay, So that's how out of control the spending has become and the deficit has become. So let's see what he has to say, and then um, I'll come back. All right, I'm trying to see what he has to say. (laughs) Break down your report for us. What happens if the U.S. defaults? Yeah, that's right, Anna. It would be, of course, unprecedented. Uh, Global investors uh, believe, uh, and with good reason, because from the beginning of the the nation, we've been paying our debt uh, on time. They get their principal, they get their interest on time. So they feel like this debt is risk-free. It's uh, the benchmark for uh, for the entire world. And if uh, that's shaken, if that confidence is shaken, if they don't get paid on time, even briefly, uh, that uh, means that they're going to demand a much higher interest rate to compensate for that risk. And that that uh, is cataclysmic uh, for the entire financial system. So every everything is is based on that premise that they're going to get paid back if they don't. Then stock prices decline. Uh, mortgage rates rise. Uh, it's going to be difficult for businesses to raise the cash that they need to 
you know, fund their daily operations. The economy will be shaken at the core. And, you know, I think the, the situation would be so bad and so clear that lawmakers would then have no choice but to react. But if they didn't, if they, you know, persisted and this lasted for, say, six weeks or so, then I think we would lose millions of jobs. Unemployment would go back close to double digits. Uh, the stock market would lose, you know, $15 trillion worth of value, almost a third of its value. It would be, it would be, I think the word, and I used it, is cataclysmic. You paint sort of a, a doomsday scenario, but you also say so far this isn't impacting the stock market. So are we just overblowing this or why isn't the stock market reacting? Well, they've seen this movie before, right? We've been down this path a number of times. Uh, feels like, uh, you know, every few years we're uh, up against the wall here. And, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, when the script is uh, finally finished, the lawmakers get it together, uh, pass a piece of legislation uh, and increase the debt limit. So uh, the stock market is now and investors are now inured to this process. They think that, you know, this is going to all work out in, well in the end. It's not going to feel good between now and and uh, when this happens, but uh, we'll, we'll get it done. But, you know, uh, that, that may be in itself, ironically, a problem, because unless investors begin to react and respond and it shows up in stock prices and interest rates, that might uh, lawmakers might take that as a signal that this is no big deal, no problem. We can actually default. Right. But uh, that would be the wrong signal. But you say even a close call would cost the economy and taxpayers that that, that could be bad. How so? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe it would be. Even you know, taking it down to the wire here, it depends to some degree on how it's done. I mean, if in fact the Democrats and Republicans come together somehow, pass a piece of legislation, it, at least it, we, the Republicans don't filibuster uh, the process. That they, you know, not that they have to vote for it, but they just don't uh, obstruct Democrats from voting for it. Then I think uh, no harm, no foul will be okay. It's not great, but you know, we we'll move forward. But. You know, if the Democrats have to go it alone and, uh, you know, use the budget reconciliation process, a very complicated process to get this done, then I think for, for going forward, uh, you know, each party that's in power is going to be on their own here. They're not going to be able to get help from the other party. That means there's going to be more brinkmanship, more uncertainty. And I think, you know, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us in the form of higher interest rates on all our on all our government debt. And, you know, that's a uh, cost to taxpayers and uh, cost to everyone who's getting a mortgage or a car loan or a business that is getting a loan to finance their operations. Okay. Um, let's go into So paint a picture for us because we're not at the port. Describe for us the, the global shipping crunch that's happening at the Los Angeles port that you're seeing. You know, what does it look like from a 360-degree view? How many ships are waiting to dock? What are the wait times for those ships to unload? And what is the crux of the problem here? What you're seeing is the American consumer's buying power on display here at the nation's largest gateway. Factory output is at recorded highs in Asia, 30% increase in vessel capacity in the Trans-Pacific trade, and it's like taking 10 lanes of freeway traffic and moving them into five when the cargo gets here to the port. We're still more productive than ever. Ship and vessel productivity are up 50%. So let me pause because he's um, spinning it as he should spin it. Because um, you see, dude's title, he's the executive director of Port of Los Angeles. This has nothing to do about the buying power of the American public. This has everything to do about every sense 
the pan- the pandemic, there has been a shortage in global supplies. Okay. Now, I don't know if you all remember, but I remember folks running around scrambling for toilet paper. I remember folks running around scrambling for hand sanitizer. I remember folks running around scrambling for Lysol. Y'all remember that? Okay. And to be honest with the Lysol, they still kind of backed up on that Lysol situation. Because what happened in the case of Lysol, I found out, because that kind of burnt me up because I was a Lysol user prior to the pandemic, and I already had three, four cans in my backlog, okay? But I went, like everybody else, to pick up some more, and they were just nowhere to be found. But I found out the reason why is because (coughs) a couple of the ingredients used in Lysol came from China. And China had a backlog of everything. This whole backlog in a supply chain has a lot to do with because the American um, economy are not builders anymore. So meaning manufacturing in the Americas is pretty much almost obsolete. It has been farmed out to other nations. We rely upon them for goods and services. So when the pandemic happened, that supply chain was pretty much shut down. It was to a halt, which caused the shortages on the shelf. So meaning, for the most part, businesses only keep so much inventory in stock as they should because the more it sits on the floor or in your warehouse unsold, you're losing money. So they only have so much inventory. So once they ran out of inventory, everything that was not only on the shelves but in the back room warehouses, They had to depend on the uh, supplies coming from overseas. And overseas had halted their manufacturing process. And because China provides so many of those goods, they are in a backlog. Okay? We never caught up from that backlog. All right? We were just starting to get caught up for the backlog. Uh, Being a person that orders, I call them my staples, on a monthly basis during the pandemic, thank goodness I had my stock of toilet paper because I could not get it through my regular avenues. I had to track to the store or trek to the stores like everybody else and do the Hunger Games <laughs> to get uh, a couple of rolls of toilet paper, okay? So we were just starting to get caught up with the inventory when they opened things back up, but it was not all the way caught up. That's really the real story. Okay, so let's continue. 
year on year. And the average exchange load and unload of each vessel that calls here in Los Angeles is over 11,300 container units. That's the best in the world. But we're having difficulty absorbing all of this cargo into the American supply chain. And the U.S. importer is sitting on that cargo longer than ever here at the port. And so uh, just ca- out of curiosity, what is, some, what is the longest waiting time for some of these ships to actually get to the dock and, uh, and unload? As of late last night, there were 76 container ships at anchor outside the ports of Long Beach and Los Angeles, and they're averaging 10 days waiting to get birthing rights here at the port complex. But extending hours has helped alleviate some of the some of the uh, the pain of the situation, right? We've extended hours. We're working weekends late at night. But here is the key, Allison. 30% of truck appointments go unused every day, and they're perishable. That means that during prime business hours, when our longshore labor is on deck, our gates are open, and the port is in operation, 30% of those truck appointments go unused. And that's, that's why we've seen a number of different areas of where we can improve the supply chain. We've got 2 billion square feet of warehousing from the shores of the Pacific out to the desert region of Southern California, and they're overflowing with goods. Also needing help of workers in those warehouses. Of the truckers that have license to do business at this port, only half are calling at least once a week. And the third segment of our dock workers here at the Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach have been on the job six days a week since the pandemic began, churning out in record numbers and heightened productivity. Okay, uh, so we definitely, I don't need to do that. Um, So just- So lost in all of this debate over- Okay, CNN, get it together. I don't automatically want to hear the next thing, one after the other after the other. Okay, so uh, that's the supply chain. So uh, we'll go over um, what they're talking about with this idea of printing or minting, minting a trillion-dollar coin, okay? Um, This was on September 25th, but literally, I just, that's the first time I heard it, but literally this morning, <clears throat> the mainstream media mentioned it again. So, um, we talked about if it's debt ceiling crisis season, then it's also time <clears throat> for the craziest solution to the problem, getting President Biden to issue a $1 trillion coin. I want y'all to really think of that. I want you to really, really think of that. Because what they're essentially doing, they're going to take a regular coin that they would mint a value on, and they're just going to change the value. Okay? So whether or not they're going to use, let's say, a $100 coin. I think they said they're going to mint it in platinum. I could, if if I'm not mistaken, I think they said they're going to mint it in platinum. So let's bump it up to 1500 I think platinum is at 1500 an ounce. Let's just go with 1500 an ounce. So they're going to take a platinum coin with a face value um, per ounce of 1500 
and turn it into one trillion? Do you all understand now that the value of money is placed? It is a perception. It is what the populace says is the value of money. This is a perfect, perfect example. Because I've heard people give the argument, oh, well, you know, they they print money, you know, so it has no value, but there's always value in gold, silver, um, platinum, precious metals, pretty much. Well, they're even proving their point where that's not even the case. Because anytime you can take something that normally face value would just be, we're going to go with 1500 an ounce per platinum, and you're going to mint up that same one ounce as one trillion? Or let's even say they bump it up to 10 ounces, which would really would be uh, probably close to 20,000. But you're going to create a 1 trillion coin. This should prove, family, right here, that the value of money, it's all perception. So let's continue. The idea, which has been around for a decade, and child, I didn't know it was around for a decade, is that the president can issue a $1 trillion commemorative now. Really? Really, bruh? Bruh, really, commemorative coin. Deposit it with the Federal Reserve and allow the government to keep paying its bills. Child, I want that kind of deal. I I want the printing press. Because that's basically what this is. You know the concept when your parents would say you would ask for something that you didn't need, you know, them, that designer stuff. And they would be like, what, what, what's your problem? You think money grows on trees? In this case, family, the leaves on the trees and the trees themselves have more value than this paper and even the coins. A U.S. government default on its debt would uh, deal a body blow to the economy. Okay, and we already talked about that, resulting in um, job losses, higher interest rates, um, economic pain, and it would last for years. Treasury Secretary Janet uh, Yellen has predicted a widespread economic catastrophe if the debt ceiling isn't raised, with most uh, millions of America. Americans suddenly strapped for cash. Okay, so we talked about that already. Um, America is in danger of that scenario if a deadlock Congress won't raise the debt ceiling in time. The one trillion coin solution could effectively bypass Congress. Child. So as we know, 
Last week, they raised the de- debt ceiling, but it's only been temporarily, I want to say, until uh, either the first or second week of December. The coin solution. The president does have a clear power to issue such commemorative coins, which are typically in denomination of 10 or $5 and are sold by the U.S. Mint coin collectors, Such coins issued this year include one honoring the National Law Enforcement Memorial and another honoring uh, Krista McAlfie, the teacher, um, I'm going to say transitions for censoring sake, when the Challenger space shuttle exploded in 1986. Okay, Um, I personally got a commemorative coin of um, a melanated woman um, as the Statue of Liberty, and she had her braids and all. Um, I tried to get the gold one, and it sold out, um, but I was able, sold out actually twice. Um, first time my order mysteriously didn't get placed, so they say. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> when it was originally issued, uh, I did get the, the, the silver one before it sold out. So uh, just to show you that they do do these commemorative coins all the time. Um, The one example that I gave you with the melanated woman as Statue of Liberty, that coin jumped in value. The original face value that they gave it, um, I forgot what it was. Don't start me to quoting. Uh, By the time they reissued it, it had doubled, okay? But again, this goes back to what I originally said. This is all by perception, family. Some advocates of the plan argue there is no limit on the value of these coins. Mm, You see what I'm saying? So a president has the clear power to issue a one trillion coin or even a hundred trillion coin. So y'all peep this. Again, I would personally love this deal. I would just absolutely freaking love it. Okay? I would love to have $100 or one ounce of gold and turn around and say, you know what? This is going to be commemorative. I'm going to make this into a trillion. Because that's essentially what they're doing. All they're going to do is mint up, take that same one ounce, or whether they do it in five ounce or ten ounce, and they're just going to um, give it a certain symbol or whatever um, and stamp it as one trillion. But... It's one trillion because they said it's one trillion. It's no different than what the other platinum 10 ounce was worth. The day before they stamped it one trillion. So they're saying a coin even over 100 trillion. But opponents argue that would be, ooh, child. That would be such gross overreach as to prompt impeachment. Uh, I'm messing with that money supply. 
The Twitterverse is having fun with the idea. Supporters range from financial podcast hosts <laughs> to recently retired baseball players. But the White House dismissed the idea out of hand, saying it's up to Congress to do its job and raise the debt ceiling as it has done in the past. Um, so I'm not going to go into this where they're talking about uh, Congress needs to do their job. Yeah, whatever the case may be. Um, let's go down to what they're talking about. Uh, down here, we were having these conversations with Jack Lou and others about what options, in fact, were available, but it had never happened. He says there were all kinds of wacky ideas about how potentially you could have this massive coin. This theory was that I had the authority to just issue the massive trillion-dollar coin, a trillion-dollar commemorative coin, and then on the basis we could pay off the U.S. Treasury. Mm -hmm. All right, so I'm not going to go into them talking about, you know, why they're doing it, but I do want to discuss, um, well, them about the political reasons. Yeah, 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 whatever. Let's go over this because I told you all I have been telling you for years that it's coming. I have been telling you all for years that it's going to be within the next 10 years, I said. As recently, I said it's going to be within the next two to three years. Global investors will know that this isn't a sustainable way to pay the government's bills, and given the constitutional crisis it would ignite, it will increase the odds they won't get paid in a timely way at some point in the future. The trillion-dollar coin will not forestall a financial crisis and economic crisis downfall. Next sentence. Okay, y'all on YouTube, y'all see this next sentence from my podcasters. The only winner in this, I'm sorry, the only winner in all this would be cryptocurrency. I got to give the bomb. I just got to give it. Now, I'm just a conspiracy theorist with the tinfoil hat on. I recall out the gate when the pandemic started, I said, do not lose the fact that this is also a way to issue in the digital currency to collapse the dollar and go on to the digital currency system. Because the dollar has absolutely no value. Okay? So I just found that interesting that they would put this in this article. Um, so that's all we're going to, uh, let's see if I want to read anything else. Um, I'm not going to read anything else on this. So the other thing I wanted to, um, discuss, we talked about the LA, uh, crisis and, um, meaning that the cargo, they have cargo sitting 
And uh, that's not only in L.A. Uh, this morning. I heard it's also in New York. And they said um, this morning that this will directly impact the upcoming Christmas season, the holiday season. So meaning they're not going to have supplies on the line um, and in stores in time for the Christmas holidays. All right. So expect for Christmas holiday prices to rise. Now, I don't know about you all, but just my grocery bill along, it's growing and growing. It's not like I'm getting shopping for more things. It's just the regular staples, but they are getting more expensive. And um, as some of the experts pointed out, and in some cases, if you check the size of your packaging, it has shrank and either the price stayed the same, but if you're getting a smaller amount with the same price, that's inflation. Okay. All right. So uh, don't ask politics to uh, fix a supply chain crisis they created. Uh, this came out today, and this is from um, Reasons.com. Oh, I had um, The Guardian up. I wonder what happened. I'm, I'm kind of liking The Guardian. Oh, well, I guess I found what I needed. Um, so it's saying, in recent weeks, multiple trade associations have asked the Biden administration to provide some relief regarding supply chain issues that create shortages and push prices up around the world. Okay. Now, remember, that's not the only reason, family, that prices are going up. They're going up because of the debt ceiling and what the dollar is worth is a lot less. So this is a double whammy. This supply chain thing, this was directly related to the pandemic. But, you know, you could call me a conspiracy theorist. I'll, I'll own that. You could put that right at my front doorstep. I'm okay with that. Okay? Imagine me with the tinfoil hat on. I'm all right with that. Because I say that the pandemic, in my opinion... It's also the perfect avenue to justify why inflation is going to happen instead of this debt ceiling. And it's also a perfect opportunity to usher in digital currency. Okay? But some of their requests, relief from tariffs in particular, are good policy at any time since barriers to trade hamper prosperity and innovation. The fact, though, that industry representatives see partial solutions to current economic problems in the federal government undoing its earlier interventions is a glimpse at the bad policies that brought us a world of empty shelves and clogged ports and which may continue to plague us in the future. Tariffs on raw material, low-tech, cost components, equipment, and finished goods, which are not adequately produced in the U.S. Hint, manufacturing jobs being shipped overseas are causing 
delivery delays of critical products and slash or higher consumer costs, the associated of home appliance manufacturers, the air conditioning, heating, and refrigeration institute, the North American Associated of Food Equipment Manufacturers, and the National Electrical Manufacturers Association point out in a white paper sent to the Biden administration last week. And those of us that are consumers, child, we don't even need that white paper to explain that. Because I personally got a new washer and dryer that took six weeks to get to me. I personally, unfortunately, had an air conditioning unit break down. And during 100-degree weather, which I had to be hemmed up in a hotel for a week, as the um, AVAC man or AC man had to look for me a unit. So I didn't even need no white paper to tell me that, okay? But look at the industries that it's impacting. And what's not in this uh, is also the car industry, all right? Let's go on. Plant shutdowns and or slowdowns caused by the pandemic, including current difficulties attracting new employees despite competitive pay and benefits, have reduced manufacturing productivity, they added. Chow, hot mess upon hot mess upon hot mess. Let's continue. Oh, and now they're starting to raise pay competitively. And pay has been so out of whack in this country that people are like, uh, it's cheaper for me to stay on un- unemployment. That's literally what happened, family. That's literally what happened. Okay? Separately, the American Apparel and Footwear Association also asked for tariff relief to ease the chaos and cost increase caused by the shipping crisis. The trade associations fret over serious worldwide supply chain issues, often represented by backlogs at ports, but also involve the inability to source both components needed for production and finished goods. Some of the international disconnects between supply and demand can be attributed to specific policies such as lockdowns that make it difficult for factories to satisfy customers. Okay. And that's why, um, you know, shout out to all that work in manufacturing. Um, You know, shout out to, you know, someone like me whose parent was a, uh, worked in the manufacturing sector. So they understand the supply chain demand and, you know, the assembly line. And during the 80s, thanks to Reagan, y'all can thank Reagan for that, when they busted up the unions and then 
companies started shipping the jobs overseas, not only was it bad to ship those manufacturing jobs overseas, they started even farming out one product. Instead of that one product being made exclusively by that particular uh, overseas company that they chose to uh, build their stuff, they got even cheaper and started saying, okay, well, we're going to farm out who builds the motor. Okay. And within that motor, the individual nuts and screws and pieces and gears, we're going to build out that work. So do you understand how many touch points or separate entities and companies and to make matters work worse, separate entities and companies overseas that are putting together one product. But this is essentially what has happened in America at, at the expense, at the expense of the middle class. It destroyed the middle class. It destroyed the gains that were made from after World War II with everybody being able to work and make a decent living and have one parent working. It totally destroyed that. It took away a huge middle-class base. Governments have struggled. Oh, and those jobs were never replaced. The only other option were to take much lower-paying jobs or um, get educated to go into another industry which, guess what? By the way, that other industry required uh, you to have uh, go either into tech in industry, go into some type of service industry like finance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We knew that that, would ha- that never would have happened coming from folks with a manufacturing background, Okay. So that broke the back of the middle class. What I am telling you all and what I continue to tell you, now we are in phase two because as they are going from a petrol base or oil economy into a digital slash robotic economy, the exact same thing will happen, except it will be on a larger scale. Because now those service jobs are going to be replaced. So you're talking millions and millions and millions of workers will be displaced. And hence the reason you're going to keep hearing them talk about universal basic income. And it's going to get more prevalent. So as I'm going over this stuff with you all about supply chain 
inflation, them um, talking about joking around <laughs> about a, a trillion dollar coin and uh, digital cryptocurrency. It all connects. It all connects to sunset a petrodollar economy going into a digital robotic AI machine learning economy. All right. Governments have struggled to secure doses of the V and have imposed costly lockdowns that have left many factories without workers. Rudders reported in August of manufacturing woes in where? In Asia. Likewise, Britain's dearth of truck drivers has been laid at the feet of the border barriers of, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, border barriers imposed by Brexit, which certainly didn't help, but neither did the the suspension of the approval process of commercial drivers or lockdown that idled workers. Mm-hmm. I'm just a conspiracy theorist with the tinfoil hat on. Okay. Okay. Um, the pandemic had an impact, and the most obvious impact is that normally about 35,000 to 40,000 tests are done a year for heavily goods vehicle drivers and had to be suspended quite rightfully for the pandemic. And there's a backlog of tests. The head of the uh, dairy co-op told the Yorkshire Post. Foreign labor was not uh, scared out of Britain due to an abstract legal change. It was driven out by the government's lockdown policies in response to the pandemic, which shuffled many from their jobs onto a souped-up dole. Charges Britain's uh, British economist Philip Pinkleton, who points out that Ireland, which remains in the EU, also has a driver shortage. Okay, so Britain and them, uh, the UK, whatever, they also have truck driver shortages. Many realize that the dole is better where they came from on the continent, especially related to the cost of living. So they left. Um, Pilkrington also points to the delay in testing drivers as a continued shortage. Um, So I'm trying to see how much more of this I'm going to read. I'm going to skip through it. Because some of this we don't need to read all the way. Um, uh, I guess I need to read it all. But r- real quick before I forget, not I always say I'm going to make something short and then here I go. But it's just be so much that needs to be squeezed in here, family. Truck drivers. <laughs> this is my prediction. And actually, I got this heads up years ago from an independent truck driver. So meaning he owns his own rig. He told me years ago 
about um, uh, automatic trucks driving themselves. He told me that years ago. I said, huh, what? He said, yeah. So he sent me the article and I read it and I said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. So he was ahead of the game. Um, I just saw, um, I can't remember if it was a part, which documentary it was a part of, I apologize, but, um, <clears throat> they literally have, are in the prototype of testing the big rig trucks being able to drive themselves. And in this documentary, they went to a truck stop and they uh, talked to regular truckers and they were like, what, huh? What are you talking about? So, uh, that group of truckers, they were able, they let them go out and see and, and ride in one of those automated trucks. And they were just, they were just absolutely blown away. And it hit them that even their jobs will become obsolete. Okay. Um, I think that they will be different but they certainly will not be able if they put a lot of those trucks on the road. Um, it's not going to be a need for all of those truckers. Uh, what I am seeing is that in the beginning, they'll have a trucker in the truck to monitor the progress. Uh, but if they're going to stay in that industry, they're going to have to learn to work with robotics. Okay, so learn how to build the components or test the components, monitor the components. And I am predicting that to start heavily implementing those automatic trucks, they are going to use this crisis as a shortage because there was a shortage of truck drivers. That's just my prediction, right? So if you're in trucking, um, get prepared. If you are a truck driver, get prepared. Get ahead of the game. I'm sure people that actually own trucking business businesses, they already know that it's coming down the line. They're lining up capital to purchase one or two of the fleets for the smaller um, trucking companies from for for the big boys. I'm pretty sure they already have it on order. Okay, so if you are in um, truck driving business as a trucker, get prepared. Do your research if you want to stay in that in- industry. See where you can take some classes to be on the robotic side. Okay. That's what I would highly, highly suggest. And that's even if you have to go direct to some of those um, companies that's building it. I don't know how you're going to have time to do that. Volunteer to test. Volunteer to test the 
free of your time, that's the way for you to get that skill set and that knowledge to be ahead of the game because I'm telling you, it's coming. All right. So um, lockdowns also changed people's lives, closing offices and factories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that, the disappearing of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we know all of that. How many of these changes will be permanent and which will revert to old patterns after restrictions of normal life disappears? Business planning for the future have to guess with their survival at stake. Um, let me see. I was trying to get at something else. Market economists tend to be pretty good at getting food on the supermarket shelves and fuel in the petrol stations if left to themselves. That last part is key. If left to themselves, heavy-handed interference in market economies tend to produce the same pathologies we see in socialist economies, including shortages and inflation. Absolutely, dude. That has been, he's saying, the unintended consequences of the lockdown. The tinfoil hat in me says it was intended. This was absolutely intended. It was absolutely planned. Now, that's just my tinfoil hat saying this. Unfortunately, there's uh, almost certainly more pain on the way. Oh, child. Yeah, I didn't even have time, family, to even report on the electricity is now in short supply in China. Now, remember, remember, most manufacturing is coming up out of China. And now you're trying to sit up and tell me that they're having a shortage in electricity. And folks want to say that I don't have a right for my conspiracy tinfoil hat to be tingling. As a matter of fact, it's beyond tingling at this point. I'm having shocks come through, particularly because a drought has hobbled hydropower, but also because the government makes it impossible for electricity producers to compensate for rising coal coal prices. Mm -hmm. Power plants buy coal, uh, coal at market price but are not allowed to raise electricity rates on customers beyond small margins set by national planners. That is correct, notes the Los Angeles Times. When uh, coal is expensive, many plants report maintenance outages and reduce or stop operations rather than suffer the losses. Child, how y'all going to sit up and call out the power companies like that? Child, y'all going to have to prove that now. I ain't saying you not right. I don't know that for sure, but child, dang. That may ease the shipping log jam, but only because there will be fewer goods produced by factories shuttering by blackouts. Europe, too, suffers soaring energy prices as demand recovers from pandemic lockdowns even as prices rise for fossil fuels and government's planned transition. See, 
Y'all want to sit up and talk about my tinfoil hat? I'm okay with that. Did I not say we are moving from a petro economy to robotics? Even the energy as a part of this. That's a part of the plan also, family, to move to renewable energy. And if you're following us on the series uh, that we're doing, Old World Tech, Hidden in Plain Sight, in the last um, episode, part three, we went over the energy sector. And how way back then, in the late 1800s, the world had the opportunity to have renewable energy, clean energy, using the natural uh, frequency, electromagnetic frequencies of the earth but they chose the electricity route instead. And as I said in that series, because they didn't want to reintroduce for whatever reason, the old world technology that was used, which was electromagnetic, clean energy, clean renewable energy. And I also said in that series, and I will continue to say, Everything that they are going to introduce over the next 10 years that they're going to say that's so revolutionary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not revolutionary. It is old world technology. So I hope that you all are getting the connection, how all of this stuff is connected from the economy from the way value is placed on money to going to digital, from uh, from renewable energy, from coal, all of it is connected family. So when you hear folks talk about a reset, this is what they're talking about. Okay? Literally going from Uh, industrialized to digital AI robotics, all right? Okay, and the flip side of that reset, um, also folks say about um, the resetting of the actual landscape of the planet, Uh, so meaning like via storms, uh, that's where the term mud flood and all of that comes into play also. Okay, so, uh, you know, I'll be the conspiracy theorist with the tinfoil hat on, but last time I checked, there's continual um, weather trauma around the world with uh, floodings, fires, and major storms. Okay, let's continue. We'll finish this up. That also leads to manufacturing slowdowns. Okay, so that's that's going to be their justification for coming off, off of that fossil fuel. You can expect the consequences to cascade around the world with yet more empty shelves. 
Again, that's going to be the um, the justification for, for them to move from coal, fossil fuel, to clean energy. Because remember before the excuses they kept making that they weren't sure it was going to work and it's too expensive. The danger is that people see economic problems caused by earlier fiddling and then demand even more government intervention. The semiconductor shortage, for instance, can be attributed to production curtailed by lockdowns um, at demands for computers soared among populations compelled to work and study from home. But the trade group white paper that asked the Biden administration for tariff relief also begged it to ensure that the semiconductor supply is fairly, fairly and transparently allocated across industry sectors and that the administration does not explicitly or implicitly favor any one sector. All right, well, you know that's fair. The groups don't elaborate on what a semiconductor policy should look like, but if the government were to further meddle in the market to allocate products made made scarce by earlier actions, it's hard to see how the results would be anything other than increased supply chain chaos. Now, I'm going to say this. I, I do want to share this video real quick um, of uh, companies, the China energy crisis, so you are aware. I do want to say, folks in government, I'm sorry, they're they're not the brightest, Um This is why I specifically believe most of them are handpicked to sit in those seats to write policies the way they are told because they are writing the policies um, based on other external factors. And those external factors are pretty much from much, much higher up sources telling them how to write the policies, which shape how everything is going to operate, okay? All right, so uh, let's look at just real quick, we're going to finish up with the China energy crisis. I don't know how they got there. And then um, we're going to wrap this up. Rolling blackouts in China have left this factory racing to catch up on orders. This electronics manufacturer has asked its suppliers to work nights when the power grid is under less strain. It's been able to maintain deliveries so far, but it's only a matter of time before the electricity cuts start to bite. The effects are being felt across Chinese industry. A national survey showed factory activity dropped in August for the first time since the start of the pandemic. Some plants have reported a slump of up to 40% in production. Demand for electricity has skyrocketed in 2021 as industry tries to make up for time lost during last year's lockdowns. That's put the power grid under pressure. Local businesses have also had to adapt.
，我今天是买了一个这个逆变器，就能连上那个啥的，连上那个呃呃，就是电瓶、电瓶车呀或者啥的，呃，能转化成这个电，你知道，变成四十八伏，就是变成二百二十伏电，正常电压。完连上我们那个削面锅，这是一样的。完了，我又买两个这个充电这种灯，啊、呃，它因为它没有亮啊，买两个充电灯，对，所以说有影响，但也影响不了哪去。The next few weeks will be critical as factories try to meet export orders ahead of Christmas. All right, family. So uh, there you go. Uh, so they were going to talk about firms in Denmark having a problem, but uh, we're not going to go there because we get the gist of it. Um, so with that said, sorry, family. I done set up on my behind and made this long, uh, but I guess it had I had to. Um, we're going to keep an eye on this, uh, but I did want to, again, bring this kind of all together so you can understand what is really going on. Uh, I wish everyone well on this Wednesday. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family. <laughs>